All right. Well, come on in. Let's play, let's pray for Eric. He's teaching today. Give it up for Eric Hurchin. He's a good friend of mine, friend of 15 years, give or take a couple months. month, a couple months, yeah. All right, if you would, stretch your hands out, however you engage with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love Eric and we bless him and we know there's deep, deep stuff in him. We know that you have put deep, deep stuff in his life. Um, many, many, many times in my life, he's spoken really incredible wisdom uh, to me, um, whether I've been able to hear it or not, Lord Jesus. And that's one reason I appreciate him so much is that um, he he's always had things to say that sometimes took me a year or two to understand. But they all they they many, many, many times in my life, he's had the word that I needed to hear um, in the season I was in, Lord. So I pray some of those words. Come out today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Eric Hurchin. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. You know, last time I spoke here, um, I accidentally printed out my notes too large. Um, This was no mistake. Legal print. Yeah, that's pro tip. Yeah, man, uh, Robin, if you just make your way to the front. <laughs> Robin asked if I needed any help holding it. Uh, these things are, these things are heavy. It's like coming down the mountain, you know? <clears throat> man, I'm so thankful. Thanks, uh, thanks Lord for giving me breath and giving me life. I'm so thankful to be here. You know, we've been coming here since the very beginning, uh, me and my wife Amanda and now, now my my two daughters and uh you know we um when we started this church with uh Robin and Donna and John Mark and Sarah and uh Stuart and Courtney and uh Chris and uh Brandy and and everyone um we didn't have two daughters so this is all all my daughters have known this is the this is the church that they've known and it's been so sweet and we are beyond thankful for this place all right We've been making our way through Matthew, the gospel, the good news of Matthew. And um, uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I, you know, it's, um, it, it has been for a long time. Um, I've just, you know, uh, it's formed me. I wish, that it, I wish it would have formed me more, but it's definitely been one of the most formational uh, pieces of literature in my life. Um, and of course, it's much more than just literature, right? But it, it's at least literature, correct? So, so formationally, it's been very, it, it's been that in my life. So we've been making our way through Matthew's account, and uh, John Mark talked, of course, about the Beatitudes, uh, the, the 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 beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, Robin spoke last week about the Lord's Prayer, which is, you know, in 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 many ways the crescendo. Of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And then, uh, you know, Robin made this wonderful point last week, uh, about Jesus' gospel. He, he, he said that, um, uh, Jesus' gospel, that is really just the good news, because gospel is just literally good news, um, that the good news of Jesus was the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Right. That's what that's what Robin spoke about last week. And and Robin did such a good job of unpacking that this idea that 
Um, there is a king, and he was not like the Caesar um, that the Jews knew, and that Jesus was, to use a, an old Bible word, proclaiming, right? Matthew 4, he was proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He was telling everyone the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? It is near. It is available. It is now, right? That's what Jesus was saying. So, so what is the gospel that Jesus told? It was the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And that, and that gospel was that heaven, that heaven's rule, that heaven's reign, that heaven's jurisdiction was breaking in uh, on our reality. Now, it's not completely there yet. We can, we can obviously see that. Everyone can obviously see that the kingdom of heaven, the way, the things that God wants are not, are not there yet. But the possibility that those things, that we can have advances on those things, that we can live at least in a large way in our lives. Um, that's, that's true. And that's what Robin spoke about. Um, we aren't waiting for death to access heaven, right? That's what Jesus was talking about. And that is good news, right? The sweet by and by, we're not waiting for the sweet by and by. We are expecting that the sweet by and by is breaking in on us now and that we can access the sweet by and by. There is no sweet by and by, right? There is the reality of God's government, his jurisdiction that we can reach into at this point. J.M. put it so well. And he said this, if Jesus gave you the ability to live forever, but didn't teach you how to love life, then what kind of eternity would you live? And if you were the kind of person who hated what's good, then what would heaven even be like for you? What if goodness tormented you? What would that eternity be like? So good. Good job, John, John Mark. So the Sermon on the Mount really does give us an idea of what really is good and what we should begin to look like if we begin to turn ourselves over to the jurisdiction of Jesus. If we begin to turn ourselves over to the reality of Jesus, to the reality of the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount really is a picture of what we all will begin to look like. Now, will we begin to look the same? No way. We're all different personalities. We have different proclivities. We have different, uh, we come from different families. We come from different uh, parts of the, of the nation, uh, you know, subgroupings, all that stuff. And that stuff really does form us, right? It's formational and it's not, and it's not bad. It is what it is. Um, so we're all going to look different, but we're all going to manifest, um, what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to talk about today really is a very small section of the Sermon on the Mount, but I think it's one of the bedrock teachings, which is Jesus' teaching on anger. And I don't think that there's ever a time in our lives, personally or corporately, that his words about anger don't cut to the marrow of who we are. And if we're honest, we probably know that to be true, that anger is something that even for those of us who maybe don't accept it is, is part and parcel of our lives. Maybe even as recently as this morning, if we're honest, um, we, <laughs> we experience some level of anger uh, towards our spouse or towards our children or both. 
um, or to the person in front of us on the way over here. And we laugh, you know, because <laughs> it's true. But, but that's how, that's how endemic anger is to humanity, right? Um, and speaking of our lives and looking a lot like Jesus, my, um, I, I was, uh, my, one of my best friends in the world is my brother-in-law. I, by the way, I'm, you're so blessed and lucky if one of your best friends is your brother-in-law. It's just true, right? Life just is much, much better if that's the case. But <laughs> we were talking about, you know, this, and I was, yeah, I'm going to be speaking on this. And he's like, he said, uh, oh, man, you remember, remember that time in, time in college? And I was like, oh, which time? Um, <laughs> uh, it, so, you know, I was like, well, which episode are we talking about? Because I had a lot of episodes in college. Um, and he said, well, yeah, time with the chemistry teacher. I was like, oh, man, yeah. So it was toward the end of my college experience, and I was a humanities major, um, as someone like me is wont to do. And I had put off taking any kind of, like, science courses until the very, very end. And um, I, uh, I knew it wasn't going to be easy for me, but uh, the only – well, it wasn't the only. There was, like, a couple – but one of the only science courses that were available for my schedule was this chemistry course. And it wasn't, it wasn't a high-level chemistry course, but it was a chemistry course. But it was a chemistry course for science majors. Now, my girlfriend at the time, who also now happens to be my wife, Amanda, was a biology major. So she actually was a science major. And it just so happened that she was also taking this class, which was wonderful for me. Um, the class was shaping up to be, to be great, Right? So fast forward a few weeks in the class, and I'm drowning. I'm not drowning a little bit. I'm drowning a lot, right? And I'm not an idiot, not even when it comes to science. I'm, 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 I'm pretty smart. Maybe not on the spectrum, but I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty smart. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just rough. And, and the, the professor, you know, he has the, um, the personality and the teaching skill to basically like a cardboard box. Um, you know, he's like one of those guys, just nothing. You don't get anything from this dude. Tall, thin, wiry. Um, and, and I'm asking questions, but he's going like light speed, and I'm completely lost. So I'm asking help, you know, from my fellow students and, of course, my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And uh, they're helping me, right, filling in the blanks and slowing things down for me. And, they're, you know, I'm doing my homework, and I'm going, you know, I'm getting like – Two questions in, and I'm like, Ugh. so, you know, I'm asking everybody, and especially my girlfriend, please help me. But I'm definitely not cheating in any way, shape, or form. You know, I'm like doing the equations myself, all this stuff. Chemistry gets crazy, right? I'm sweating bullets just trying to get a decent grade. So a cardboard professor um, calls me up to the front at one point, <laughs> and he says he wants to see me and my girlfriend in his office. So... We get into his office, and he said he's giving us Fs on our homework because we've been cheating. Now, he's never said anything anywhere out of his mouth or in the syllabus about working together, right? And it's not like we got the same answers on our homework at all. I'm just doing my equations a lot like my girlfriend is because she's telling me how to do it, right? And I need that much help. So this guy's clearly a jerk. <laughs> now, he's been a jerk prior to this situation, but this is like cementing it. This is like the nail in the coffin for his, his jerkdom. So um, 
So we get to his office, you know, and, uh, it, you know, he's, and he's telling us that we're giving us, you know, Fs on our homework because we're cheating. And at this point, I'm beyond angry. You know, there's like anger and then there's like more anger and then there's like, now this point in my life, I am not what one would call a disciple of Jesus uh, in many ways, shapes or forms. And I, I had this real good rhythm as a cusser. You know, like I was, I was pretty good as a cusser. I, I, I was, um, I, you know, like, you know, when you get rhythm and the, you know, you get the syllables to match up and, and you kind of like vary the syllables and, you know, there's blankety blank and the blank blank, blankety blank. So man, I just gave it to him for a couple good minutes. And my girlfriend, <laughs> Amanda, sat there in horror. <laughs> Cause, you know, she's an actual science major. And she has to put up with these people for the rest of her time. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm up one side, down the other, and back two minutes. I'm done. And uh, he clearly he's not backing down. Uh, so I, somehow I, I think I squeezed out a C in that class. But um, it was a wonderful example of me not being anywhere close to uh, Jesus's <laughs> kingdom. Um, and, you know, I wish I could say this was like an isolated incident or, you know, <laughs> poor cardboard prof. He, um, I won't tell you any of the things that have happened recently. Matthew five twenty one through 26. All right. I'm not going to put it up here. I'm just going to read it. So if you guys, some of you might need to close your eyes, but just, just listen. So this is Jesus. Imagine, imagine yourself and don't even, you know, not different clothes. Just imagine yourself. You're, you know, you're, you're outside. It's nice. It's beautiful. Um, you know, the, the breeze is blowing, uh, but it's not cold. Um, and you're listening to this, this person who just talks as if he knows what he is talking about. And he says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool, will be said, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on their way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Man, that's crazy. So Jesus, Jesus uh, is clearly challenging the assumptions of the people in his day and probably challenging our assumptions, right? So he's saying, you've heard it said this, murder is bad, murder is wrong. And most of us can agree there, right? I mean, even today, I think most people have this conception that murder is, is the thing that you don't do, right? And when we hear about most of us, most of us, if, if, if we, you know, 
if we've lived, you know, kind of a certain kind of life, most of us hear about murder and we're going like, man, how could somebody get to that place? We agree that fundamentally murder is wrong. But if we're honest, we kind of hear Jesus saying things like calling people fools make us in danger of the fires of hell. That Man, Jesus, that's, that's a little crazy, right? That seems nutty. That seems a little extreme. That seems like these people down the road who, you know, like wear really long dresses and, you know, never cut their hair and, you know, the... You know what I'm saying? Like, that sounds like that kind of thing. Sounds very fundamentalist. Like, sounds, it sounds crazy. I mean, I cussed out a science teacher. I'm in danger of hellfire. But let's frame this a little bit. In the Bible, a fool, if we like look to the Proverbs, the Proverbs has a lot to talk about, about the fool, Right? And if we read through Proverbs, basically one of the things that we get, the sweep of what a fool is, is someone who is fundamentally hopeless and fundamentally not worthy of community and fundamentally not worthy of being in our community. It's someone that we push as far away from the community as possible, right? Unworthy of love. Raka, on the other hand, the the translators mostly don't know how to translate that. That's why you often get just full-on rakah in, in, in most of your Bibles. But in Hebrew, it just sounds like, you know, the sound you make when you're getting ready to spit. And I think that's actually the best translation uh, for it. Well, you, you laugh, but it's true. Um, because, you know, here's what's great about Jesus, you know, and, and you see this th- all throughout the, 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 uh, the Hebrew Testament, right? Because you see, you know, in the Old Testament, you see things like wonderful passages like Proverbs 3, where you see this grand sweep where you, you, there's always, the beginning is not, uh, the beginning is always on purpose and, and there's always like this wonderful sweep. There's this wonderful like narrative and there's this wonderful uh, movement from the smallest thing to the biggest thing and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's starting low. Right? He's starting over here. You've heard it said, or, you know, anyone that's angry it will be subject to judgment. Anyone who, who says raka, in other words, anyone who, who spits on somebody, right? And then the next is fool, which is complete pushing away from, right? So this is clearly what Jesus is talking about is starting here and then getting here, right? So that's, that's number one. So what Jesus is, is showing us here that anger is the road map to murder. But is that really what he's saying? Because really, at some level, anger on its own is not necessarily a sin. I mean, there are places where anger is called for, right? We know that anger can be a warning light uh, for, for weak people. You know, like, I got to get out of here. It's time to back away. We know that uh, anger is you know, it helps us see where injustice is, right? We know um, there's a lot of examples of places in time that anger is certainly warranted. We could even say, we, we see it in the scripture, there are times when, when, when Jesus is angry, correct? And then Paul says, you know, in your anger, do not sin. But there has to be a reason why anger is so dangerous 
to Jesus. There has to be a reason why Jesus has such heavy words for anger. And it can't just be this kind of like warning light that comes on. Well, here's my proposal. My proposal is that, that anger in the warning light situation, I think that that's, that's normal and good and right and human. But I think that most of us let it progress past that place. Does that make sense? You know, lots of things are good at, at a low level, right? You can drink a little wine and enjoy it, and it's wonderful. But, you know, you, you begin to be the kind of person who drinks multiple glasses of wine every day. That's a problem. And I think that's so it goes with anger. Have you ever noticed that children tend, tend to anthropomorphize the things that they love? Has anybody ever noticed that? Anthropomorphize, of course, is just a fancy way of saying give human characteristics to, right? I mean, the, 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 the most, the quickest thing that comes to your mind is whatever their lovey is or whatever their doll or whatever their, their teddy bear or monkey or, you know, whatever it is that they have. But they, they, they humanize that thing, right? They give it human characteristics. They give it personal characteristics. They mentally put on to this inanimate object, which is not alive, the qualities of being alive. And I think that that's just normal and good and right as humans. I think that's what humans do, right? That's the beginnings of empathy. I think this is a basic human trait. I, you know, I was, I was remembering, uh, I, I have a one-year-old daughter. We were in um, Ikea. And to this, it was like, like three or four months ago. And to this point in her life, she had not shown much of any interest in dolls or stuffed animals or any kind of like thing like that. And we're, we're, we're just trying to get out of Ikea. And we're going past all those stuffed animals, you know, like that. And you know they do it on purpose. It's like the candy aisle at the grocery store. You know, it's like the perfect place for the kid to freak out. Um, and we're going past, and there's this stuffed horse. It's about this big. And she's just in the perfect place for her little hand to reach out of the basket and pull that horse down. And then she hugs it so tight and hugs it tight for like five minutes. And, you know, we didn't plan on getting this horse and... But it was such a sweet display of emotion and love. Now, I'm not going to go around every time she pulls something off the shelves and buy that for her. That would turn her into a ruinous person pretty quick. Um, however, this was so sweet and so good and so right. And you could just tell that she had already bonded with this, this like stuffed horse. It was like, all right, to this day, it's still her favorite. And that's what we do as humans, right? We bond. It's healthy. So what does anger do? Well, I think one of the things that anger does and can do and is a surefire thing is it does the opposite. It dehumanizes. Right? I mean, just watch. Watch, watch how people who are angry treat the objects of their anger. Not yourself. Just, just step out of yourself for a while and do a little experimenting. Watch, if you can, Watch angry people and the way that they respond and, and, and the way that what they do to people that they're angry with. And a, a converse one is, is to watch what happens to people who are targeted with anger. What, what goes on there? What's that relationship like? You just kind of watch that for a second. Well, what Jesus is talking about is this dehumanization. 
project that anger kicks off so often, right? It turns people from real people into cardboard people, right? It turns them into props. It turns them into objects, objects for us to manipulate, objects for us to move around, objects for us to push away, objects for us to cuss out make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But they're not people anymore, not really, not in that full sense. Ultimately, God doesn't just want subjects for his kingdom. Jesus ultimately doesn't want just students for his discipleship program. Later on in Matthew, later on in Mark, later on in Luke and John, we see what Jesus really wants. He wants friends, right? And he turns around to his disciples and he calls them friends. And friends at the end of the day is what happens when we fully humanize people, right? John Mark said that, you know, so sweet. He, uh, he said that I've given him words uh, at certain points of his life that he needed. Well, has it been any different with him to me? no. There's been plenty of times that John Mark's been sitting on the opposite side of the table telling me something that I don't want to hear, that I need to hear, that changes me over time. And maybe it's a year, maybe it's two, maybe it's three. But that's friendship. And and me and, and John Mark and myself who are, are, you know, I count him on, you know, is one of my two best friends in the world. You know, it's like I don't see him as good or bad, do I? I see him as full. I see his goodness and his badness and his middle, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't turn him into a black and white cardboard version. That's what we do with friends, right? Now, when we're angry at our friends, watch what we do. They are only always one thing. When we're angry at our spouses, what are they? They're only always one thing. You're always this, right? You're always angry. You're always forgetful. You're always whatever, right? The list goes. And we always, anger always has this narrowing thing. And that's, I think, really what Jesus is talking about it. And it just makes sense. When you dehumanize people, you're capable of murder. But for Jesus, long before the murder ever happens, you're already begun your project of dehumanization into Jesus. That's it. The dehumanization has already begun to do its dark work. Interestingly, right after Jesus talks about anger, he immediately launches into a teaching about adultery. And he says this, I tell you that anyone who's looking at a woman in order to lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I think the reason that he can go from anger to lust in this way is it's the same thing. It's the dehumanization project, right? Looking at anyone to lust, whether you're a man or a woman or otherwise, is what? Dehumanizing. It's flipping a full person, a person that is a body, a mind, a soul, a spirit, the whole thing, it's turning them to what? It's cardboard people. So we are very close to the kingdom when we begin to see those around us as people, as whole people, as people worthy of love, 
and people who are complex and complicated as least as at least complex and complicated as we are and we are very far away from the kingdom when we begin to see people as less than full people as not complicated right as thin as objects to manipulate as objects to hate as objects to use or destroy if you find yourself thinking about the other political side as always x no matter which political side you sit on i'm not saying one or the other what are you doing when you make them less complicated than your side is you begin to dehumanize and we're so steeped in a culture of anger right now that it's hard to imagine life without it. You think of our politicians, of our news cycles, of the constant disputes in our social media feeds. And that doesn't even touch the personal stories of abuse and anger and selfishness that we all know to be true. And that's for those of us who don't even know selfishness and abuse of like really awful levels, right? There's some of you in this room that know abuse and selfishness unlike I've ever experienced. But since we are so steeped in a culture of anger, I say that we have to imagine what life would look without it. And I say that the way out is imagining with the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's the beginning of accessing the kingdom. I mean, what is prayer? in some ways, other than holy imagination. Imagining with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit empowers you to do what the, the imagination is telling you to do, correct? Dreams, visions, right? These are imaginings. Holy imaginings. So what would it look like? How would it feel? What if anger was no longer a weapon that I had at my disposal? I mean, just think about that for a second. I mean, there's plenty of honest questions that would come up. How do I parent? No, no, hold on. Let's pull back from the idea that we're we're yelling at our kids. But how do I show how do I show my child to do the right thing when they do the wrong thing if I don't have anger at my disposal? I'm not saying that I know the answer to that question, but I'm saying that we should be asking that question and we should be asking God that question and we should be asking the Holy Spirit to help us imagine a different way. To give us a different system, to give us a kingdom that we can be in, that we can give, that, that we can walk in, that we can work in. And I'm not saying that I'm the person to, to guide you through this. I'm saying I'm asking the questions with you. How do I show my coworkers at work what they're doing is wrong if I don't have anger? Now, some of you may not be angry on the outside. Some of you guys may be passive-aggressively angry. It's just as bad. You're just turning it in on yourself. 
but we all see it. We can tell by the lines on your face. Um, wh- uh, how do I keep people from running over me? How do I fight for justice for the weakest among us if, if anger is not an option? How do I show this person on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that they are piteously wrong? How do we fight for the soul of our country if I don't have anger? Well, clearly, I actually think that the situation that we're in in our country has to do with the fact that in James, it says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And I think at this point, we're sitting on a good couple hundred years of exactly what happens when the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. And, you know, this stuff compounds with interest. We pass the anger on, right? Here's another question. If Jesus really was who he said he was, how did he respond to anger? What did he do when people were angry at him? And what did he do in situations that called for anger? It might be a good idea to to roll these things around in our minds and our hearts and our our bellies. Because we really can look, we, we really can learn from him. All right, I want to look at one final section of the passage. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you pay the last penny. There are many, many things that we can learn from this passage Uh, much more than I can talk about now. But for our purposes, let's focus on one main thing. Notice that Jesus says your brother or sister has something against you. He's talking about close personal relationships here. He's not even, we're not even, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like we're not even getting into like the uh, advanced level chemistry class where we, 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 we bless those who curse us or we, um, we love our enemies. This is our brother or sister. This is in our family. This is not, right? This isn't outside. This is inside. This is in the house. So start close, right? Don't try to be the hero and, you know, settle, at, settle matters with people outside. Start close. Number one, the second thing is, have you noticed how when we've been wronged, we always, have you noticed, ever noticed that when we get angry, it's almost because someone else has wronged us and almost never we think about how we've wronged others. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus is saying here. It's very, very hard for us as people to admit that we played any part. And I think in beginning to understand that others, when we begin to understand that others have things against us, 
that is not just our wills, wills that are being crossed, that there are things that, that people have against us as well. I think that we can begin to cultivate the humility that says we can be the kind of people who can see our own mistakes, our own angers, and do everything in our power to be reconcilers. So I would like to suggest that we really can live our lives without anger, but we can start small, we can start at home, we can start with the people closest to us. And that's really where we begin, right? And here's the great news. We can do this. Jesus wouldn't have said this if he, if, if, if he didn't have full understanding that we could, that he could do this. I mean, here's the thing. Jesus graduated to the point. I don't think he started here. I mean, I think this was a project from the time that he was zero. But by the end of his life, he's on a cross. You know, we're not going to talk about exactly what that meant, but he's dying. And he's, he's fundamentally able to look at his murderers and say, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing, right? This is advanced level PhD not being angry, right? And you don't get there. You don't jump from, from, from here to there, right? But that's where we're going in the kingdom. You want to talk about the kingdom of heaven and where, what that means? That's, that's the end game. So the beginning game is start home, start close, and begin to imagine lives without anger. All right. When we begin to live our lives with anger, it will be good for ourselves and everyone around us and our chemistry teachers as well. All right. So this morning, I'd love to pray that God would begin to work his Holy Spirit power in us and, and that we really would get some holy imaginations on how to live without anger and that we wouldn't be heroes and we wouldn't try to like you know, do the whole 30 all at once, but that we would, but that we would, that we would begin today figuring, you know, like working with God, working with the Holy Spirit, doing this thing, right? All right, let's pray. Um, as you're closing your eyes, I would like to ask if anyone in the room had someone in mind, as someone who really needs to hear this message, rather than praying for them this morning, I'd like for us to ask Jesus, is there anything that we can do? Can we settle quickly with our adversary? What can we do to make them our friends? And is there anyone in our lives who is close to us that we have been dehumanizing? Is there anyone who we are making less in our own minds? our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our children, our pastors, our spouses. And God, bring your Holy Spirit power into those thoughts and into those relationships. We just ask. And we open ourselves. We become vulnerable, like John Mark said. Teach us your ways, God. Teach us your ways, Jesus. How could we accomplish what you would like us to accomplish without anger? And breathe your breath on us. Breathe your breath on us. Breathe your breath into us.
so good. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, man, wasn't that awesome? You know, this is... Um, this is part of our whole series on Matthew, and since early this summer, or last summer, whatever summer we just had, we've been um, in this uh, series on biblical literacy, and we, we went through the Old Testament, and we've been going through Matthew. And I want you to see, if you, if, if you noticed how God continues to expand the circle, after the fall, when he wants to do his redemptive work, he starts with a man. He starts with Abraham. Then he opens up to Abraham's family, which is Isaac. And then he opens up to a whole nation, which is Jacob or Israel and the whole nation, right? And then Jesus comes and Jesus says, even love your enemies. And then Peter, you know, he, God sends him to a guy's house, one of the Gentiles' house. And God and <laughs> Peter's like, I'm not even supposed to go into his house. And, and, and God gives him the dream. And it expands to the Gentiles. Expands to the Romans. Do you see this expanding circle? Because you see it in your life when you're a baby, it's all about you. And you get older, it's, it's more about your family. You get a little older, it's about your tribe. You get older, it's about your nation. You get older, you realize it's about much more than your nation, right? Because the ultimate purpose of God is that you would see all people as your brothers and sisters. And you would see all people the way you see yourself. And you would learn to love all people the same way that you love yourself. That's the ultimate purpose of God, right? We would learn to love all people the way he does, you know, and so when he's talking about when we dehumanize a person through anger, the next chapter is about lust, but it has to do with the same thing. We dehumanize people. What happens is we dehumanize ourselves. That's why you cannot love God and not love your neighbor because they are one and the same. And this thing is circular. And that's why anger has got to be a thing that you deal with if you're going to truly have a relationship with God. Because it can become poison. It can become poison. So, amen. Anyway, one of the major reasons I said that is because this does continue our series on Matthew. And if you've missed some Sundays, um, that's totally fine. We don't expect anyone to come every week. But we have the podcast up. And I think you'll see some really interesting threads that start way back when we talk about Genesis. And, and thread all the way through even the conversation Eric had today. And I think that would mean a lot to you if you've missed some of it. So go check those out. Anyway. Are we done? We are done. All right, Lord Jesus, bless us. And may the best team win. We also have healing teams. If you need prayer or ministry, um, the healing teams, Lord, let the Panthers win today. Lord Jesus, let the Panthers win, Lord. Anyway, if you, if, if you want prayer for healing or other types of ministry, there will be people up here who are willing to uh, pray for you. So anyway, love you guys. Have a good time.